Um, sermon uh, things that are coming to my mind were more about the Lord's Supper service and things relating to the Lord's Supper service. And um, I figured, well, I got two more sermons um, and then the one about the Lord's Supper and the th Lord's Supper night is usually really short because people have a long way to drive to get home. So it's more or less just the emblems and the bare necessities um, at that time. So we want to talk about a lot of other things beforehand. Many of you have seen the chart on the wall in the hallway um, that's excellent about the entombment of Jesus Christ. And then uh, uh, we've got a little, little paper as well. I guess there's two levels, one at 14 inches and one at eight and a half by 11 uh, of the same kind of a chart. The printing is pretty small. But if somebody's interested in those, uh, those copies of the uh, time element of Christ's uh, death and resurrection or the time element of the three days and three nights in the, in the heart of the earth. Um, oh, Brother Ben, I see some light. <laughs> Thank you. It's coming back to life. Look at that. Okay. Uh, so, of course, my... Uh, thoughts were that um, I'd be talking about Jesus and the time of the Lord's Supper. So that's what I called as my title. But you know, the first thing that struck me when I started to think on that matter was the uh, idea that uh, the, uh, the test of a prophet, some people forget that, that uh, whatever a prophet was to say he might be going against what God wants you to do, or he might be on God's side and, and God's talking through him. And you have to know which is which. So there was a test to see if this person was a true prophet. And even the Bible texts talk about being afraid of him, meaning, uh, you know, you leave him alone, you let him do his thing, let him talk and listen to what he has to say. But if he was a false prophet, you were to kill him because he's trying to divert the whole country, all the people, not just one church or one building location, but he's attempting to cancel out all of God's good things that were going on in, in, um, uh, in the kingdom of, in the, in the new Jerusalem, uh, not new Jerusalem, that would be a wrong word, but in, when the people moved into the land, that was all new to them. In that new country, they needed to make sure that it stayed pure and faithful for many, many years. And you were not allowed to have the evil creep in. And then, and boy, that chapter is something else when you read it. Whether it's your wife, your son, your daughter, your relatives that fall into that category as a false prophet, you were to report them and to see to it that they were put to death for trying to divert God's people from the true and right way and from the heaven, true Heavenly Father. So we want to talk about some about that. So I'm going to be reading from Deuteronomy 13. 1 through 5, and then um, chapter, uh, uh, or verse 6 through 11, besides going to Deuteronomy 18. So Deuteronomy 13 first, and then Deuteronomy 18, 18. We're going to talk about that. So that, it's right here. So I can just grab this. Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder. So now he's trying to prove who he is, that he's 
Remember in the in book of Revelations, there's going to be a prophet come along and he's going to have fire come down from heaven or, you know, and, and it's all phony. Okay, well, this prophet here could be doing somewhat the same thing. So verse 2, this is Deuteronomy 13, verse 2. And the sign or the wonder come to pass whereof he spake unto thee, saying, let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Oh, now, who is this? He's showing signs and wonders, but he says, this is what you're supposed to do. Follow my instructions. But I want you to go after other gods with a small g. Oh, boy, you better be knowing your stuff, right? Know what's going on and what what that means. So verse 3 that follows here. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words that that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. He's proving, proving you, he's testing you, asking you, are you sure you know where you're at with your spiritual life? Verse 4, ye shall walk after the Lord your God, and this capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is Yahweh, Jehovah God. Yeah, that God. Some serve this one, some serve that one, some serve that one. We serve the Jehovah God. And fear him. Do you fear this God? And keep his commandments and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. Wow. These are all commands. We need to walk after this God, understand him, know what he wants, what he does, what he, what he likes, what he doesn't like, uh, everything about him, and even cleave unto him, a desire to be with him, to hang on to this God. He's ours. For the children of Israel, they kind of said, it's our God. Well, we can say that too, right? He's our God. Okay, so verse 5, And that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams, shall be put to death because he hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which bring you, uh, brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage and thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in, so shalt thou be put, put evil away from the midst of thee. You have to read this in little pieces and go back and think it over again. But what he's saying, this, this prophet is saying the wrong things. He's a dreamer of dreams, yes. But he's trying to take you away from the Heavenly Father, uh, which brought you out of Egypt, and redeemed you out of the house of bondage, brought you back to himself. Uh, this good God has done all of this. And then this bad guy is trying to thrust thee out of the way. He's giving you a hip bump, you know, or something like that to put you off track, run you off in the, in the wrong way. Um, and then what? You know there's a path that you should be walking in, but he's trying to get you out of that. He's trying to get you away from it. So that thou shalt put evil. If you put him to death, up there in the beginning of this, put him to death. The reason you're doing that is to put, uh, thou shalt put the evil away from the midst of thee. If you leave him in the midst, uh, he's going to make more trouble. It's like, like a, le- a little leavening, leaveneth the whole lump. A little sin will leaven everybody and everything. Uh, he needed to be put away. They could do that all the way through Jesus' life and death. 
That's why they were accusing him of the things that they accused Jesus. They were actually working with this logic that's right here in this chapter. Okay, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. 18 is just a couple of pages over. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. I want a few verses there. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, uh, unto himself, he shall hearken. God is telling us he's going to raise up somebody that's going to be a prophet, and he wants us to listen to him. This is a prophet about Jesus, right? Prophecy about Jesus that would come. As we go on there in verse uh, 18, 18 was the one I was after there, but I wanted to read one verse at least ahead of that, verse 15. And Deuteronomy 18, 18, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and I will speak unto them all that I shall command him. Did I get 18 and 13? Yeah, chapter, no, it's chapter 18, verse 15, and then verse 18. So I left out a verse. Then I'm going to leave out another verse, just kind of extra here, save a little time. But verse 18, chapter 18, 18. And then I'm going to chapter 18, verse 20. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name. He's presuming. I know your God. And you know what your God wants you to hear? You run into this more than you'd guess. In my number of years, <laughs> you actually run into this many times in your lifetime. Somebody will come along and they say, I got a word from you from God. It's a little hard to say much about it. But what we're supposed to do is be a fruit inspector. We can actually judge the guy because he's doing the wrong things, right? He's pronouncing the wrong things. But the first thing to do is be a fruit inspector. As he got the Spirit of God is you got the fruits of the Spirit. You know, you can go down a checklist. What about this person? Is he serving God? Is he keeping God's commandments? Okay, so let's go a little further. So this guy might be presuming to say something in God's name, which I have not commanded him to speak, nor or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. Two chapters, two commands for the same situation, right? He should die. And then verse 21, Deuteronomy 18, 21. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? Both, both ways is really what that's saying. How, how do we know that this is a guy that is of God and giving us God's message? Or how do we know that this guy is not of God and he's giving us a bad message? Okay. Next verse, verse 22. When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, something he's going to give as a message for you or a, a show and tell type thing, but it doesn't come to pass. That is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. Because if you read the next verses, you're going to have to put him to death. 
You're going to have to stone him. You're going to be witness saying, he said such and such. Does this sound like Jesus' life? Especially at the end? Oh yeah, we'll get to a few of those verses. They were presuming that Jesus was a bad guy. He was teaching wrong things. He was teaching against the temple, about destroying the temple, and on and on. Um, so they had something against him. Uh, I don't want to get ahead of my notes, and uh, so I'm going to watch myself here. A thing that popped into my mind at this point was about these prophets. And uh, sometimes they had a message from God, and they were good about it or bad about it. And so the first thing that came to my mind, God said to Jonah, go. He went that away. <laughs> he was telling God, you know, those people over there in Nineveh, they're, uh, they're Gentiles. They don't believe like us. Um, I don't think you should send me to talk to them. They're lost anyway. What's the use going to them? God had said, go. Well, he had to go through water and a whale, a big fish, and get burped up on the shore. And I always think God just caught him over here, and they, the big fish took him over there and spit him in the right direction. <laughs> caught him going the right way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he, he got the picture. He was in the belly of the fish and praying. How about Moses, the burning bush? He said, oh, no, not me. You send somebody else. I'm not your guy. And God had to keep talking to him. He said, oh, well, all right. I'll give you Mo your brother, Aaron, to be your mouth. And uh, I'll talk to you, and you talk to Aaron, and Aaron will talk to the people. It didn't take Moses very long before he figured out what was all this double talking. I might as well do it myself. So, so he got on track. But God said to Moses, go. Uh, of course, he was afraid. He said, they, they tried to kill me and they, they're looking for me to come back. They want to kill me. And God said, go. And he's, you know, he's 40 years old. He could have said, well, sorry, God, I'm too old. And then he was 40 years more, wasn't he? And then he got the people out of Egypt and he got another 40 years that he went, 120 years old when he died, wasn't it? And he was able to walk up that hill, and his eyesight was good too. <laughs> wow. Okay. So sometimes we get told to go, and we need to be listening to it and get the job done, move, move forward for him. Uh, how about Saul? He thought he was doing the right thing. Here's a guy blaspheming. He was accused of blaspheming. And uh, his followers are doing the same thing, and they're running all over the place. They're trying to change our, our uh, traditions and so on. He said, in fact, those people um, are, are getting all over everywhere. And uh, lots of countries were afraid of how it was going to spread and what was happening. And um, who they came over here too. You know, if you read through the New Testament, you find out what they were, were afraid of. But Paul... Saul, later was called Paul, uh, he had to get knocked down with a bright light before he got the picture. He said, who, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm the one that you're persecuting. He had to get turned around. So he had work to do. God told him what he would be doing and what kind of things he'd be doing, who he'd be talking to, and the next thing would be go, get on with it. 
At Jesus' time, the rulers killed Jesus as a false, false prophet. They wanted to be sure that he was no longer there and needed to do away with this one. Um, they, and the followers of Jesus, of course, Stephen was the next that was put to death, stoned. But the uh, Messiah is spoken of in Daniel 9.24. And uh, I, I didn't put those verses in here because I knew I, it would get me going on more verses in Daniel. So for, in the short form of it, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, it actually uses the word Messiah and that he was to die in the middle of a week. And if you take the mathematical numbers that are there and the replacing a year for a day, a day for a year kind of thing, uh, it was going to be seven years. And in the middle of the seven years, he would be cut off. And what happens for the last seven years? Well, I'm sure that is where when the disciples were sent out to the Gentiles. And he said, go to Jerusalem first and then Judea and, and then um, Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. And then he said, Lo, and we, if you're rejecting us, we're going to the Gentiles. Okay? So they were carrying the message for that last half of those seven years. But seven divided, by, divided in half would be three and a half years. And right away when I was writing this down, that half year. Half year. When did he start speaking? When did he die? This was the beginning of the year. Somebody needs help. Um, in the middle of the year would mean that he was born, if he was 33 and a half years old when he died, um, you would have this half year thing to go back to his birthday. So you could count back and you find September or October is when uh, Jesus was actually um, born and lived and taught for three and, uh, 33 years, well, it was 30 before he could preach and then three and a half years of preaching, brought him to the spring time of the year. That says that Messiah will be cut off. Well, that's what happened with Jesus. He was cut off. He died. So then the disciples went forth and taught the people. It's interesting when you think about the temple service and the whole service that the Hebrew people were doing. And you think of the temple when, the, uh, when Jesus died and the veil torn from top to down, tore down. Um, that veil was not a little slinky little uh, lightweight thing. It was very, very heavy. It was almost impossible to tear. They said two teams of oxen pulling you know, opposite direction it would take to rip that. And it tore from top to down. So no man could have interfered with what, what God was doing. But the temple was uh, stopped. The service had to stop because the most holy was open. Nobody could go there except the high priest only once a year. And he had to be all sure that he had cleansed himself all over. He had done some cleansing service things that he would do and put on different clothing. And he had to take the blood with him and, and all this other stuff he had to do in order to go beyond that veil or he would die. So nobody else could do this job. And now the veil is gone. So they had a real problem with what's next. What, what do you do now? The Old Testament shows us the rule of what to do with the prophet. Kind of jumping back to that again, because I wanted to be sure that you got it there from 
Deuteronomy chapter 13 and chapter 18. So these guys were actually going to be judging Jesus as, uh, as a prophet, and they were going to do the testing, and they were going to put him to death. So they were doing what was right. What, what was Saul doing? Same thing. He was trying to be a very, very good Jewish believer in the Heavenly Father, and he was going to take care of this problem and get rid of these bad guys. They were trying to take away the teachings of the old Hebrew teachings that um, was being challenged or distorted. And he thought the only way out of this was to get him gone. Saul accused believers of the new way and the false teachings that he thought that they were doing. And he was going to have trial for the, those believers that he was catching. And they were going to be punished one way or another. Uh, the main thing was going to be death. So here we'd want to go to Mark chapters uh, 14, chapter 14, 64. Uh, yes, 64, Mark 14, 64. Ye have heard the blasphemy that, what think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. That's what Mark says. What Jesus' sayings were being thrown back at him. and said, you, you've heard him speaking here. And he's worthy of death. In Luke 24, 20 is almost the same thing. And now the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. This is an ex explanation in Luke of you've already done this. This was the way it was supposed to be done in the Old Testament way and to protect the, the teachings of the Bible and to protect their God. And um, he's been delivered. Jesus has been delivered and they've killed him. They condemned him to death and crucified him. Said you were just doing what was right. In Acts 9 and verse 2, and desired of him letters to Damascus. This is Paul with his heart changed. Well, no, this was still Saul, wasn't it, at this point? Still Saul, uh, because he was desiring letters so that he could go to Damascus to the synagogues. And if he found any of this way, and he believed this way, believed in Jesus, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. He would bring them bound to Jerusalem because the, then the, uh, the, the, um, the chief priests and other rulers of Jerusalem and of the church would then take care of the problem, which would mean they'd be putting him to death. Get Jesus out of the way. Okay, uh, this way was used a lot. In Acts 22 and verse 4, it said, and I persecuted this way. Who's this I? That was Paul himself. He said, I was there. I did what I thought was necessary. And I persuaded this way unto death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. What a horrible thing to remember about yourself and what you had done. In uh, Matthew 12 and verse 40, it says, um, 
that Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus made this connection so that there would be a, a, a connection between how long Jesus was in the tomb and what Jonas was in the whale's, whale's belly, uh, big fish, <laughs> whale's belly. And then uh, uh, because of that three days and three nights, there's a connection with how long Jesus should be in the tomb. Now, Jesus also made this statement uh, in Matthew Ma- in Matthew 15, verse 32, it says, And Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continued with me now three days and, uh, and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. So that's just a connection with three days again. Uh, uh, let's see, the next one is... Um, Oh, where uh, these are when you look up three days, you'll find different verses as well. So in Matthew twenty six sixty one, and said, "This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days." They were getting this message of how much three days is. They were including the night, right? You had twenty four hours and twenty four hours and twenty four hours, seventy two hours, and he's going to tear down the temple and build it back. He's a false prophet. Why would you destroy God's temple? How could he build it back in three days? He's a false prophet. Uh, then we have another one with three days. In, uh, in Matthew 27, verse 40, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Now they're throwing this back in his teeth. But they're remembering the three days. The three days and three nights. Because that's what Jesus said. That he was going to be in the... uh, Like Jonas was in the whale's belly, he was going to be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And they're throwing this back at him. Okay, come on down if you're the Christ. They didn't believe him, otherwise they wouldn't have put it that way. Then when the authorities were trying to Uh, still make sure of their decision to kill him, that it wouldn't be modified or somebody steal his body, in um, talking to the Jews, and the Jews talking to the authorities, in uh, Matthew 27, 63, saying, Sir, we remember that this deceiver, false prophet, he's a deceiver, said, while he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. Three days. Now, we, we know if you're talking about 24 hours, it's going to be night first, then day, night, day, night, day, 72 hours. Three days. And because of that, they wanted to be sure that there was a guard there and make sure nobody stole his body. And then they could make an excuse that he was able to, uh, uh, that somebody stole him away rather than he rose from the dead. In Mark 15, verse 29, another verse on these three days. And they that passed by railed on him and wagged their heads, saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. 
This mentioning of three days is a number of times because it, it needs to kind of get in our head that we remember this idea about the three days. They knew about it. They were accusing Jesus of it. There's no mistake that they knew what they were talking about. Okay. I want to uh, grab back this other paper now. Make sure I keep going where I want to go. <laughs> so the three days and three nights are very, very important to this story. And the more verses we have on it, the better. Um, I've got to find my way to Luke here in just a moment. But we know that it's uh, in Acts 9, verse 2, and Acts 22, verse 4. Um, but Paul taking people and putting them to death because of this problem. And uh, what was the true test? Was the three days and three nights in Matthew 12 and verse 40. I don't think I read that yet. Okay, so I'll stay on this track here. Uh, in Luke down there. In Luke, we talked about the three days. Oh, yes, Jesus talking to the people. In Luke 4, verse 25, but I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias when the heavens were shut for three years and six months when great famine was throughout all the land. I like this three days, uh, or three years and six months because that's also telling us about how long Jesus would preach and how long um, it is from his beginning to preach until the end of his life. Going back six months, you find his birthday. That's reasonable, right? Okay, then uh, in Matthew twenty-seven sixty-two. now the next day the followers... That oh yes, what I'm after here is the word preparation. When you lay out a calendar of the last days of the of Jesus' life, you'd want to start dividing it up with. Might as well start with Sunday on this end and work backwards. Okay, so you'd have Saturday night in the dark would be Sunday evening, Sunday dark, and Sunday daylight over there. Then you come back one day and you'd have Saturday night first, then day. Then you go Friday, night, day, first day, or daylight. And then you have Thursday and do the same thing with the night and the day. Go back to Wednesday, night and day. Just draw, it's very easy to draw. I started on the bottom of this page and I thought, I don't, don't have quite enough room. And I was counting with these red marks that you might be able to see. <laughs> if not, you can get a, you know, make your own. But I went from Sunday backwards, three days and three nights. Whoops, something went wrong. From Sunday morning, you have to say, no, no, wait a minute, no. When they were hurrying to get him off of the cross and get him in the grave before the sun went down because the high day was coming, that was night. They were hurrying to get him in the ground before the sun went down. If you go to the other end, how come it's morning? Three days and three nights, I'd put it at night. Just as the sun's going down. So if you go back the three days, of course you're going to be wrong. Starting Sunday morning at sunrise. Go back three days and three nights and you're in trouble. Well, they don't even do that. They say, well, 
He was killed on Friday afternoon. Good Friday, they killed the, the Lord Jesus. Good? What's good about Good Friday? That's a big mistake. So if he was killed on Friday, you'd have the nighttime after his death, you'd have the, the rest of the night, in our thinking, for the night of Sabbath, and then you'd have daylight and Sabbath, then you'd have the night of Saturday night, which would be belonging to Sunday, and then rise in the morning. You got two nights in one day. Doesn't work. That would mean Jesus is a false prophet. He said it was going to be three days and three nights. If he's a false prophet, then he needs to be put to death. Or was he right? So then you start thinking back and you have to find the preparation days. So in my own logic here, without following paper too much, you would have a preparation day for the high day Sabbath. And they can't be up against each other because you need a preparation day for the weekly Sabbath. Right? Now you're beginning to see the picture. It's pretty easy to put back where he was. He went, he instituted the emblems that would represent him. And in the dark, they came and caught him, right? Right at the end of that day and the beginning of the next, they caught him. They took him into court. They had court procedures. They beat him. They did this and that in the daytime that followed. And that afternoon, they killed him on the cross. They buried him before the dark got too much to see where you're going and the ladies to go and watch where they buried him. That was the preparation day. They said he can't stay on the cross during the preparation day for the high day, which was down here. But you begin to put these in order, one after the next, after the next. And it's on that chart on the wall out there. So then you have to have, it'd be day one, night first and then day. Day one was right after his uh, putting in the tomb. And when they set the guards, that chart is all on that wall and also in one that we can hand out. Um, then you have this day in between uh, when they, they could have bought supplies, like the Friday in between, that they could buy supplies and they could do the brewing of the, of the stuff that they'd put on the dead body and so on. You can kind of think these things through. Preparation day for the weekly Sabbath and they can't do anything on the weekly Sabbath. So as the sun was going down, they went to the cross Went, went to the, the tomb, went to the tomb, and he was gone. Well, of course he's gone Sunday morning as well, because he was gone here already for Saturday afternoon. He was gone. So it's quite easy then to walk through the steps and say, okay, this is when he died. Here's night and day, night and day, night and day, and here he's, he's gone. He's up. It's pretty easy to do that. And if you take that little chart, and it's got verses along the way down there, supporting what was happening on those days. It'll start four or five days before his, him instituting the Lord's Supper. Then you have the Lord's Supper, you have his, his trial, his crucifixion, and, and just day by day by day. And you find that Saturday afternoon is the three days and three nights. Afternoon, not Sunday morning. Otherwise the 72 hours don't work. The three days and three nights don't work and you'd have a false prophet. So what I did, so on the back of this sheet, oh, I guess I did it over here. I did too much on there. So this was my next trial, my next try, and I have this same chart like this in a PowerPoint presentation. I've done it a long time ago with the computer that's here in the office. And it would still be valid, there's nothing wrong with it. But that's my little drawing last night. 
So you can scribble in the night and then day, night and day, and put in your words that you'd like to have there. But what happened on those days? Jesus did not die Thursday afternoon. If you're trying to go from Sunday morning back, you know, you'd end up with some time when Jesus would have died on Thursday afternoon. No, that doesn't work. Trying to make an extra day out of it. It's not going to work. Um, count the days, and it's an annual celebration. There was a high day Sabbath that was there to mark that in. And I wrote in here, find, find, find. You find the preparation days for the high days, high day Sabbath. You find the preparation day for the weekly Sabbath, which is Friday afternoon, right? Friday. It's a weekly preparation day for the weekly Sabbath. And then you, and there's six verses that prove that. Then find uh, the night, three nights and three days proof that Jesus fulfilled in his prophecy. If he prophesied about three days and three nights that he'd be there just like Jonah, he better do it or he's the wrong prophet. Uh, find what it, is, what it was prophesied or where it was prophesied that he would die in the middle of the week. That's in Daniel. And then uh, that's Wednesday, you know, just natural thinking, Wednesday. Uh, the middle day is Wednesday. And uh, so you can work that out too on your own. His capture on Wednesday was the beginning of the uh, daylight, or all through the night and the daylight, uh, and sundown, he had to be rushed into the grave. I'm just reminding myself here that I've already said. The proof of the visits were by the women that went to put spices on the body, and then they ran back quickly and got the disciples. The disciples ran. How could they run in the dark? Because it's full moon. No problem. <laughs> right? <laughs> we know that the, the uh, first day of the month was the uh, new moon, which was dark, dark moon. When you get 14 days down the way, you're at full moon. Another 14 days, you're at new moon again. So when Jesus died, it was a full moon night. When they left Egypt, it was a full moon night. No wonder they could leave whenever they could get out of town, get out of there. So the authorities were trying to stop this all from happening. And uh, there was then, uh, how many people knew that this happened? Scripture says at least 500 saw him at one time. Then it adds the disciples and it adds this one and adds that one. Um, and Paul said, and I was kind of out of time with all of this, but I saw him as well. And wow. Okay. One thing to keep in mind when we're thinking of the Lord's Supper and all of these connections that we're trying to make to prove who Jesus is, uh, Jesus died for our sins. We dare not miss that. We can do the mathematics, we can do drawings, we can do this and this, but the main key thing that he died for our sins, died for the whole world, if they would have, if they want to, if they want to have him, died for anyone that would accept what he was offering. He uh, died uh, in our place. That's kind of sad when you think about it. I was guilty of death. Maybe I was one of those that accused somebody or put somebody else to death. 
And Jesus died for me so that I could be forgiven. Paul. Paul did it. Paul was a bad guy. God forgave him. Jesus forgave him. So we must also consider that when we talk about the Lord's Supper, many times people will say, well, it's Passover that you're keeping. No, we don't. We do not keep Passover. That was a Hebrew culture thing. And when the veil was torn, that was the end of it. We are keeping the Lord's Supper, but the same annual date as the Passover had been. So we do need to know when the Passover was. You do the mathematics, the new moon, the 14 days, okay? But we're not keeping Passover. We don't kill a lamb. We don't sprinkle blood. We don't have the bitter herbs. We don't do those things because we're honoring Jesus, not the old lamb to save your life. It's Jesus that saves us. Uh, we are remembering Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross. We remember the day that it happened, so we're looking at the calendars. We're looking at the calendars. In 1 Corinthians, it's one that, oh, yes, I wanted to remind myself here as well. 1 Corinthians 1 to verse 23. It's too long for today. But it talks about Jesus. It talks about this time of the year, when you should take the Lord's Supper and uh, why and so on. Uh, and it's at his coming is when is in verse 23. This verse is missed so many times. I wish we had time to, to get that one where it says at his coming. So if you make yourself a note and hunt up 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 23. And in that 23rd verse, it'll make a statement of his coming, at his coming. Something special is going to happen when he comes. Jesus is the first to rise with a new body. He's the first fruits, it says there. Look those things all up. Um, for the believers will be in second place, but at his coming. Last verse, John 3, 6. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's make sure we are keeping this time of the year special because of what Jesus did for us. May God bless you.